Hey friends, it's Rena Olson. Welcome to this episode of the Relevate Podcast. We are taking an 8,000 mile journey to Karanzi, Tanzania to share more about the nonprofit Ubora, Tanzania. Ubora is a Swahili word that means excellence. I have had the privilege of consulting with Ubora for over three years now, working in communications, fundraising, and events. And last year, I made my first trip to Tanzania. I share more about that incredible journey in this episode. You'll also have a chance to meet Ubora's president, Dave Burgess, and our operations manager, Emily Weaver. This is a big, sweeping God story. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Ubora and the amazing people of Karanzi, Tanzania. Dave Burgess, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thanks, Rena. Glad to be here. I know. It's your second time in the hot seat. You were the president of Ubora, Tanzania is amazing and you shared a little bit about your journey because you are an engineer so that's just such an interesting switch to being an engineer an entrepreneur to being a nonprofit executive so let's just kind of start and if you can just share a little bit about your background yeah as you said uh, engineer by training in school was actually never really a good engineer oh stop Uh, no i ended up mostly dealing with customers on the technical side could kind of grasp the technical side of things, mm-hmm. but then also uh, worry about what the customer needed and wanted. Uh, so that's where I fit in. But no, just thrilled to uh, have left that world. It's a wonderful journey. I've also been privileged to do a lot of big hikes and adventures uh, in my life. But this one has been by far the most rewarding and the most exciting. So uh, haven't looked back on the engineering much at all. It's kind of a, a whole different life. Yeah. So as a boy, what did you want to be when you grew up? Trying to remember. Uh, I probably, you know, like a lot of young boys, uh, professional uh, sports. So I wanted to be a soccer player. Uh, And then really, uh, I think that's probably a big part of the journey is uh, I was good at math. And so everyone just said, you should be an engineer. And so that's what I did. It uh, may not have been the path that uh, I should have been on. And so... Mm -hmm. Uh, just very blessed to have uh, to found this new path. Yeah, uh, but I think that happens to to a lot of us. You just kind of get going and yeah. you know one direction, and then you're 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 stuck. Right, you find yourself in a in a place where uh, you may not be the best fit, mm-hmm. but um, uh, that's that's fine. You know, it is hard to know what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah, and uh, I think I can finally say that I've found that. Yeah. Well, I know that. In your home, uh, your dad was a quadriplegic. 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 How do you think that shaped your life as a child and as a man today? Yeah, um, I was, uh, I, you know, I always say I grew up as my dad's hands. Mm-hmm. Dad, he was just a great guy. Knew a lot. I don't know how. He, he injured himself when he was 26. So I don't know how he learned all the stuff that he did he knew how to do it. He just couldn't do it himself. And so from a very early age, he would have me change the oil when I was eight or whatever and just start, started doing that. So I think it gave me a, a sense of empathy and it's, you know, wanting to serve, enjoy serving. And I think that's maybe where it came from. So it's so interesting that that, that was part of your your background. And you were how old when he got injured? Uh, three months. So just, just a baby. And um, so, yeah, it was just that's the way it always was. I never really even thought 
much about it uh, until I was in college and realized, oh, wow, you know, not everyone grew up like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it says a lot about my mother, too. She, sure. she stayed with dad and uh, the rest of his life and cared for him. And uh, it was just a, a normal upbringing. And, um, you know, on the plus side, dad was always at all of my events, very supportive and, you know, overall, you know, great childhood. Uh, but probably, you know, probably one of, uh, you know, serving him and just being his hands and feet. Yeah. Yeah. And he was very much, um, he could drive, right? right. He yeah. could drive. Yeah. He, they, uh, oh, I don't know how long it, he was in the wheelchair for many, many years before, you know, the technology came about to where he could drive. Mm. And, uh, it, it, uh, it basically led him out of jail. He always described of being set free, uh, when he started to drive. Wow. Uh, and that really kicked off a lot of the, the hands-on work that I was doing. Uh, it was, it was uh, kind of a, a you know, bubblegum and duct tape type system that they had back in the 70s. And so we were always fixing it and uh, making it better for him and just you know, rigging it yeah. uh, so he could drive. Um, and I think you shared some kind of scary experiences <laughs> When he was driving. There's been all kinds of stories. And I think that's, that's what I love about our family is in this face of the adversity, uh, we, we just kind of laughed our way there through it. joy. Right. I mean, what else, what else can you do? That's the, the card you've been dealt and do your best and uh, enjoy it. But yeah, he, there, were, there were several times where he uh, had some adventures because of the wheelchair. Fell in a lake one time in Florida that was, you know, filled with gators and Water moccasins. Oh, my gosh. Um, Were you there? I was not there for that, but I heard heard about it when I got home. Uh, and then uh, I remember one time he pulled out of a restaurant. Or I thought there was a, a cut through in the highway. It was not. It was a curb. And so he went up and over the curb, which jarred him loose from the lock that held him in position to drive. So he rolled away from the steering wheel. And then the van the went down the other side of the curb. And it kicked the wheel full left. And so he did a U-turn, but it was a perpendicular U-turn across the highway, came back across the curb, which then rolled him forward back into driving position. He grabbed the wheel and pulled into the parking lot and just casually. And meanwhile, there was a whole bunch of bystanders watching the whole thing because this was in, in the seventies. There weren't many wheelchairs in Florida. And they saw this guy do this perpendicular U-turn across the curb and I, I just nonchalantly pulled out and took the right this time instead of making the left over the curb. So I just, uh, youth was just filled with that. And I, what, what can you do but laugh? Uh, I love the spirit of your dad. That's just <laughs> so amazing. So let's talk about Ubora, Tanzania, and kind of how it began 20 years ago. If you can just share a little bit about, about how it all got started. Yeah, sure. It was started out of Perimeter Church in uh, northern uh, suburbs of Atlanta. Perimeter was looking for a partner to come alongside uh, in their global outreach department. Uh, They had not worked with anyone in Africa and thought we can perhaps help in that region. So they sent young uh, staff member by the name of Tim Neat over to explore and see what was going on there. And that's where he met Pastor Warielli, uh, who was a young Tanzanian pastor uh, helping the village of Karansi that had been stricken by the AIDS epidemic that was in the region at the time. This was 2002, mm-hmm. uh, roughly. Yeah. And uh, 
we always joked that it was a chance meeting with Pastor Warielli. Well, we all know that God orchestrated that. Absolutely. And um, Tim came back and described what he saw and the need that was there. There were many, many widows who were on the you know, brink of starvation. Widows in Tanzania are ostracized. They're, they have really no means of providing for themselves. So certain, you know, certainly a big need. Uh, perimeter uh, signed up to help. And uh, that began a, a relationship that's lasted to this day. It you know, initially started with widow relief, helping them with food programs, uh, and then it branched out to their kids, ultimately leading to a school somewhere around 2005 mm-hmm. is when the school started there. So it started off really as humanitarian relief. Relief. <laughs> yeah. Because they were, they were barely making it. And the way I understood it, that when, you know, a lot of the men died of AIDS and, you know, the, the women were blame, blamed for it, you know, it was tribal customs that were still in place and they had no rights. So they would lose, not only did they lose their husband, but they, they would lose their house and then they were just have all these kids and no place to go. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, and the perimeter people just started. They didn't have a, a handbook. They just started going and serving and loving on these people and really working with Pastor Warielli to to kind of figure it out and to help fund some of these initiatives and really to, like you said, come alongside and, fig, you know, let's figure this out together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's so cool, especially learning about, we were just over there in Tanzania for the 20-year celebration and to see the widows now, mm. I mean, they are so vibrant, so joy-filled, so, you know, robust in spirit. We had a dance party on the fields with the widows, and it was it was a highlight of the trip for me, yeah. for sure. They are just incredible, and they've they've come so far. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, you know, before there was really no hope, uh, no yeah, we would uh, we hear about the folks that went in those early days, and the the thing that stands out the most in their memories, uh, the old timers who went, is that the this the look in the eye of the ladies back then was a blank stare, um, really no hope uh, going on within them at all, and today they're like as you said they're vibrant. Uh, and they're ready awesome. to dance, they're <laughs> and they're, awesome. they're just full of hope. Um, there's still a lot of challenges, and still, sure. um, but you've got a, a, a starting point with with all the hope that's there. Right? Who knows what's possible now with with having hope? Exactly, and the the hopelessness in the eyes of the children too. Mm-hmm. You know, and now especially the kids that go to our school see how leadership. They're excelling academically. They love Jesus. They, you know, they just love being at the school. They're getting two nutritious meals a day. It's just quite a transformation with the children now who are going off to college. And mm-hmm. yeah, you definitely see that same hope in, in the kids at at our school. Yeah, uh, and at the same time, when when you go out to some of the public schools you see the lack of hope just as it was in the widows 20 years ago. Yeah. So there's, there's just, there's a lot more to do. Yeah. Well, I know that when perimeter was looking for that church partner somewhere in Africa, 
I mean, it was really Tim Neat's assignment was kind of needle in a haystack. It's like, you know, find some place in Africa for us to, you know, to partner with and go long term. Why is that long term approach so important for a nonprofit, would you say? The biggest thing is building trust. Uh, especially uh, in Africa, there's been so many examples of, of one-and-done organizations, very well-intentioned, but just it's, it's difficult uh, to do. Uh, it's far away. There are cultural barriers, uh, language barriers, of course, and it's just hard. And so it's just critical that the long-term relationships be there from a trust standpoint. Yeah, that, that's the biggest one is just is trust. Well, and transformation takes, mm-hmm. it takes generations. Mm-hmm. It does. You can't, you can't just, you know, with, with poverty and the issues at this level, you can't just go in and do one thing and be done. Yeah. And I think that's what we've seen in being there. It's like started with the widows. They're the children. Let's build a school. What are some of kind of those offshoots that have have cropped up over the years in terms of the programs that we now help our friends in Tanzania implement? Yeah, so you know, Pastor Warrielli, who's still heavily involved, uh, just has a heart for those in need. And so the kids at our school are doing well academically. They're doing well from a health standpoint. So when we're over there and you know, serving them, we we can't help but get in, in touch with uh, kids who are not at our school. There's probably 2,000 kids in the village who don't go to our school. And we see them through some of the other programs we do, like Vacation Bible School, some of our health clinics. We'll reach out to those public schools. And so you start to see the need that's just outside the walls of the school uh, there are businesses that are you know, hundreds of yards away from the school that are struggling. And so we, we just run into those needs naturally by being involved in the community. So it's, it's evolved into uh, health care for the, the entire district. It's evolved into helping businesses in the village. It's involved, evolved into doing food silos uh, for the public schools around our school. Just, you know, there's, there's a, every time you turn around, there's, God shows us more need. Uh, and at the same time, he gives us resources to meet that need. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Let's talk a little bit about the Tanzanian culture. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of people, especially here in the U.S., they, you know, Tanzania is just kind of an abstract country mm-hmm. in Africa. You know, share more about, about Tanzania and the, the culture and the people in particular. Uh, it's it's such a special place because of the people, right? And you're nodding it your head. Um, uh, you know, we, we learn about cold cultures and warm cultures, uh, cold cultures being those that are, you know, more concerned with getting tasks done. Tanzanian is, is exactly the opposite. They're more concerned with relationship um, and, and knowing uh, the person. So just from the moment you get there, they're so warm and inviting uh, invite you into your home immediately, no matter how little they have, uh, and will give you whatever they have. Uh, they're a joyous people. I was driving down the road on the way to the airport on the last trip, getting ready to go home, and on the on, in front of me there was a vehicle, a, a pickup truck, 
with about, it must have been 20 people hanging on this truck and they were singing. And so uh, I took out my phone and, and took a picture and they were waving. It was, there was no, uh, you know, hey, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you taking a picture? They're just waving, having a great time. And as they peeled off to take a left, I, I hung my head out the window and I yelled, Buenas Afiwe, which means praise the Lord. And, you know, just got this, you know, mile-wide smiles from all 20 people. And the response to that typically is uh, amen. Mm-hmm. So you get the amen. And uh, just it was a, a great parting uh, shot of just the culture, the way it is there. And uh, that's just it's like that everywhere you go. I just I wasn't prepared for for the warmth of the people. I really wasn't. I mean, they are, you know, everyone I met, it's like when you're in our presence, you're family. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just kind of the way the way they are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are Swahili-speaking people. A lot of them do speak English. But it just, you know, the language was, was not a barrier in a lot of instances. You know, you just kind of kind of find your way around it. Yeah. Another uh, great story. You see this all the time. Despite the poverty and the kids not having much at all mm-hmm. in terms of toys or, uh, you know, I've, we've done vacation Bible school programs where they end up getting a, a bowl of porridge as the meal. And, you know, that's a huge deal. Like right. You heard people say, wow, they, they would come to VBS and hear the, the gospel, but then they're also thrilled to get a meal like that. And you're looking at it and it's, like, it's a bowl of pretty bland Corn. porridge. But even though that they're so poor and don't, you know, get a lot, how, countless times we'll give a candy bar to a child and they'll break it in half and find their friend and give them the other half, which is just, mm-hmm. you, know, you know how big of a deal it is to get Gosh, that. Yeah. And yet they, they share it with their friend. Yeah. And that, that's so that's typical. That's the Tanzanian people. I mean, they're just so, they're so giving and gracious. And we, the American partner, which is what they, they call us, it's like, We've learned so much from them along the way. We give in certain ways, but they give so much to us in return, mm-hmm. which is the very, very cool part about being involved with Ubora. Yeah. You can't replicate that. And a lesson mm-hmm. on selflessness, mm-hmm. you never, you, you, won't, and you won't get a better lesson to see than to see a, a child give away half a candy bar when you For know sure. that that's probably the only candy bar they get. Yeah. You know, in a year's time. Right. And they're so resourceful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, they've they've learned they have to be. And uh, you shared a cool story with me. Our partners at Perimeter, they bought a new playground <laughs> set. And do you remember what you were like? Now you can get rid of that old one. <laughs> and you got scolded a little bit because our director over there said. Yeah. So, oh, we, we, we like to reuse things here. And so that this playground was there from the beginning. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was pretty rickety. Pretty and, uh, dangerous. It's like, oh, no, no, we're going to repair that and and uh, give it to the, the local public school. Yeah. And, and reuse. Because that, I mean, that was a big deal to that public school to have that. Yeah. And we look at it as a grab. Right. And just the public education in Tanzania, it is, there's just so little financial resources. So... You'll have 100 kids in a classroom sharing one textbook. They're crowded into all gathered around, you know, a few desks. And 
holes in the floor. I mean, it's just, it's really something else. But those kids are there to learn and they are joyous in the process. Yeah. It's just, it doesn't compute. I mean, we see such joy every time we go to visit Mm -hmm. those government schools. Yeah. And just thankfulness Mm -hmm. to even be in school. Right. And they're so eager to learn. Uh, It's something that, you know, we're kind of losing here perhaps Mm -hmm. in our culture and they're gaining it. They, they're seeing the potential. Right. Uh, just so it's so heartwarming to see how eager these kids are to learn. I know they're amazing. I can't wait to go back. Okay, rather than creating solutions for our friends in Tanzania, we come alongside. Help us understand more about the importance of coming alongside and what that means. Yeah, for me, it it's grounded in the truth that we are all created in God's image. We're, we're all uh, created to want to create ourselves. We're created to have intellect and to be you know, good stewards of the world. But you can't do that if you're so mired in, in just deep poverty. So our, our approach, we, you know, if there's mercy and relief that's needed, like as the case was with the widows back in uh, 2002, we feel like we should help there. But then as soon as possible, move into a mode where we're helping them to realize their potential as an as a image bearer of God, so which, good. you know, it, we, we've built a lot of buildings over there, but those are easy and they're not as important. It's now the hard part is to uh, help realize the potential that's within everybody over there. Uh, So that's the hard work. Uh, So it's, it's uh, really, it's, there's, there's confidence building. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think coming alongside means that we let them know that they're loved by Christ. Let them know that They've got friends who have their back that they can, you know, not worry so much about maybe tomorrow and where they're going to get food. But, hey, let's think about how I can shape uh, my future and how I can influence uh, and solve problems within my own community. Mm-hmm. And that's a mindset change yeah. um, uh, that, that's just hard to do. And we're, uh, that's the next, uh, the next decade, I think, is that's where we'll be looking. Right. Um, but... Coming alongside, you know, it, to me, is a starting point. Mm-hmm. It's helping to provide a starting point, um, you know, f- physical assets, but then also um, in your, you know, spiritual side, letting them know that they're loved, and then on the physical side, letting them know they've they've got uh, some margin mm-hmm. to start being creative and solving problems themselves. Right. Yeah. Well, and we've never pretended to have the answers. Right. You know, it's, it's, I think the, the generations before us and the generations after us have served with open hands. You know, it's like, I think people that are attracted to Ubora know that, that it's, mm. it's a place of humble leadership, right? Right. You know, it is really, you know, if you're, if you're going over there to teach them something, this is probably not the place for you. Mm-hmm. Right. 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 It. It's. Uh, it can be humbling. We. We definitely know that we don't have the answers. 
Um, and so, yeah, coming alongside means let's figure this out together. Right. And to be able to say we have a 20, we've figured it out despite language barriers, time zones, 24-hour travel differences, mm-hmm. you know, we've figured out kind of a rhythm and a cadence to to really um, be in com- true community with these people. Yeah. You know, the bonds that have been made over the years between people in Tanzania and people in Atlanta. It's just, it's, it is, they're like family type bonds. I was going to say, so you, you were just there for the first time, mm-hmm. right? And when you walked onto the campus, how did it feel? I, I mean, when I stepped foot on Tanzanian soil, I was like, I don't know. It just, I felt so fully alive mm. more than more so than I've ever felt and I, I really don't know why yeah. you know and but, and I knew you know I knew a lot of the people I knew about the campus but it just um I don't know it was just it was a blast in every way mm-hmm. it just you know I just felt like I was on on point on on purpose yeah we uh we recently hired uh, a new person to come on board Emily Weaver and um uh it was meaningful for me that uh we you know, the, you mentioned the 24-hour travel to get there. And the first thing we did before we entered the gate of the school, uh, we prayed. And um, just that that you know, going in would be a, the start of a, something new for Emily. And uh, I know, I That's think when cool. she walked in, and I, I know for you too, Rita, when yeah. you walk in, it just feels like home. Oh, well, church, but we went to church before. Oh, okay. And church, Tanzanian church is just next level <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Congo line, everything. So loud. It was just mm-hmm. the most amazing worship experience of my life. For sure. Pardon the leaf blower. <laughs> <laughs> the nice weather does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we, we our, our focus is really in a small village. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that, you know, we have limited resources, limited people. Let's just focus here. Lift up a village to transform a nation. Mm-hmm. Lift up a village to transform a nation. Talk to us a little bit more kind of about that strategic play with Ubora. Yeah, uh I think our one of our core competencies, uh, aside from just persistence and going back all these years, is is deep relationships. Um, that's just built into our DNA, uh, and so um, you know we're really I think good, and we focus on building those deep relationships with individuals there, um, and letting the results happen. Uh, because of those deep relationships within one community and then letting God take that and and do with that example uh, what he will across either the district or uh, the nation. We've seen that in our education. Uh, It's a great example. I mean, our education started, uh, effort started 15 years ago with the school. Um, We've had just deep relationships. U.S. teachers pouring into Tanzanian teachers Tanzanian teachers pouring into the U.S. teachers. Uh, and uh, after all this time, the school has become one of the best in the country. And it wasn't done, you know, uh, by, by some grand plan. It was done by pouring into individuals. 
uh, in a in a Christ-like discipling type of way. Right. So that's that's our model. And um, in education, we've seen that um, God has taken that and it's got, He's given us the connections uh, to the the district level government, uh, and then also the national level. Uh, the Ministry of Education is interested um, in what we're doing and how you know the school philosophy and how we uh, how we teach, which is very different than Tanzanian uh, education. So it is very credible uh, to say that we're we can impact the the education of the entire Tanzanian nation. Um, so that's our model. That's how we work. Um, and then, I'm sorry, I've forgotten the question. The dog. <laughs> sorry, Hazel Ray. Talk a little bit about changing Tanzanian curriculum and how they used to learn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, over the years, our Atlanta-based teachers have, just to unpack that a little bit. Sure, yeah. I think it's so interesting. Yeah, the... Uh, it kind of the education challenges start with the challenges of the nation at large. So Tanzania really just became independent in 1963, mm-hmm. and um, they started just building school after school after school uh, in an effort to you know create the foundations for a country. Well, in doing that, the the resources became scarce, and they they didn't have a lot of resources to put into the teachers in those college, in those uh, classrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it, the system was set up that uh, the folks who may not have done as well over there in, in, in school were, were slated to become the teachers. Uh, so plenty smart people, but just no resources and, and not a lot of training. Yes. And so the whole system... Uh, you know, if you've got a lot of kids to teach uh, and not a lot of resources to do, it was based on rote memory. Mm-hmm. So, and, and if you don't have a lot of textbooks, you know, you're you're writing things on a chalkboard and having the <clears throat> having the kids memorize. And so, the challenges that we saw was was that the whole system was built on just memory, rote memory. Uh, the the example just that breaks your heart is we had one of our teachers. This was not a student. This was a teacher that didn't realize that math was real or what math was used for, even addition. Mm. So uh, a lot of the work we've done has has, has worked on helping uh, foster creative thinking, critical thinking, and learning for true understanding. And so it's just taken years to... um, to develop that within our teachers and change that whole way uh, in a whole approach to mm-hmm. education. So lots of things with, you know, manipulatives and different learning styles. That, that was a big one is learning that kids learn in different ways, mm-hmm. right? Some of us learn by hearing, some of us learn by doing, some of us learn, uh, you know, kinesthetically and, you know, all the different ways. And so, uh, they weren't doing any of that over there. It was just simply write it down and memorize it. And so um, a, a lot of our teacher work has been in that, in to introduce those new ways of teaching. Um, the thing that st- stood out for me is the, the minister of education once said that, um, that uh, people say that there are no jobs in Africa or in Tanzania. Um, but he said there's plenty of jobs 
because there's plenty of problems to solve. We just don't have people who are trained to think and solve the problems. And so that's what we're trying to do. Symptomatic. Yes. And, you know, again, it just, it has nothing to do with the, uh, intellect and creativity exactly. and uh, ingenuity of the, the people who live there. It's just the system that they've, uh, they've had for their education. Yeah. So. so, you know, we've created this amazing Christian English medium school, and then the kids go off to secondary school, perhaps university, and then during a recent visit, you were in the village, and what did you notice? Quick, quick story. Um, the place where we stay is on the outskirts of the village. And um, every day when we go in to serve at, at our school, we drive in through the village. And uh, there's usually a pretty decent sized crowd of young men, probably, you know, 18 to 20 years old. Um, and they're there every day. We go back year after year and they're there year after year, uh, just hanging out. And we we have to drive through that crowd and to get over to the school. Uh, you get into the school, and uh, it, it's a beacon of hope there. Oasis. Well, recently, we, uh, we did a, a service project uh, during the 20th anniversary celebration. We usually don't do this kind of service, but this time we had a lot of people there. We went out and cleaned the village, helped clean the market up in preparation for market day. And uh, in doing that... Um, some of the guys that we had driven through in the morning were there and they were, they were mocking, mocking the, those of us who were up helping clean the market up. Um, and so I noticed it and it, it, it didn't bother me too bad that they were mocking us. It's kind of a t- typical teenager thing you know, to be expected. But then as we were cleaning up, uh, I'll, I'll be, I'll keep it the rated G, uh, uh, version here but we were cleaning up and there were some things uh, in in the stuff that we were picking up and throwing away that indicated that there were some problems uh in that mm-hmm. that uh that group of people uh the young men um and this was hundreds of yards from our school mm-hmm. and so it it just hit me that for years and years every day that we're there we're driving through these young men almost saying get out of the way we're trying to get over to the school and so it just convicted me that there there's a huge need uh in that group of people in the village Mm -hmm. and um it it some of the things that we saw from the mocking and the things that we were picking up in terms of alcohol and potential drugs and other behavior that that isn't godly at all that these guys did not know jesus at all Mm -hmm. And if there were going to be problems in that community, it would, it would probably be coming from there. So that's a, a huge need that we see now. And it's one that's really exciting uh, to go and show the love of Christ to this group who probably has never felt that Mm-mm. at all. They've always been kind of the outcast. Mm-hmm. And so just huge potential there and um i'm excited about the next next years it's going to be like the next group that we pour into much as we did the teachers back in 2000 beginning in 2005 Mm -hmm. and look where that stands today right we can 
you know, bring the, the men back to their rightful place in the village as fathers, as providers, as mm-hmm. husbands, dads. I mean, that will be, that will be a huge win. For yeah, sure. Yeah. And, you know, and we, we also hear about a lot of the challenges that young women have mm-hmm. culturally, uh, it, it, the, the Maasai culture, which is one of the tribes in Tanzania, um, one of the, the things uh, over there that many people recognize as being a challenge across the country is that the men view women uh, as being less valuable than their cows. So there's the whole, you know, selling off your daughter for X amount of cows, that sort of behavior. There's uh, things where the young men uh, feel that they, they can take, young women at will and make them their wives and things like that. And um, uh, so th- that's a problem. And so you know, th- certainly be, we would be desire to help there too. And we, we, we want to do that and plan to do that. But I'm going to see if, if we solve the, if we help these young men, right. it solves a lot of that along the way. Right. It's going to be it's complicated. <laughs> it's so complicated over there. Yeah. It's what's well, complicated here too. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I think we are there to to help them figure it out. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when those problems are in your backyard, you can you can just become blind to them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's so so amazing that God kind of opened your eyes to this is vulnerable population that needs love and needs to be served as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, this will be a free plug for the chosen, <laughs> <laughs> but if any of you have seen the, uh, the, the episode of the woman at the well, mm-hmm. it was so well done that and it showed just how Christ came for that, that woman who would, was totally ostracized and forgotten. Um, I don't know. I see that sort of thing happening with these young men as well for sure for sure and then i know on a, another recent trip you noticed that some of the graduates from our school were back in the village you know that was kind of eye-opening and led the way to the internship program so yeah share more about that so a number so of people cool. involved in that um cindy james leading mm-hmm. the charge there um but yeah so uh it's a small village there. Uh, it's been a very, very poor village. And so parents uh, there don't have the contacts. They don't have the context of how to help their children find jobs. So even you know, Ubora and Shefo help their children go from kindergarten all the way through secondary school, which is basically high school. And then those who qualify, we have a scholarship program and get them through college um, but then there are no jobs. It's very competitive mm-hmm. to find jobs. And so if your, your folks, uh, have, you know, they've, have only been a farmer and there's nothing wrong with being a farmer. Don't get me wrong. Sure. But, um, it, it, most of the parents have not had an education past the fourth grade. Um, if that, if that, right. And, um, just don't know how to help their kids get a job. There is no one to help their kids get a job once they've had this education that we've been so blessed to help them get. Uh, so we realized that um, 
we could step in and come alongside and just with our experiences that we've been blessed to have, um, help them find these jobs. And so um, just like everywhere, <laughs> uh, you, you can't get a job because you don't have experience and you don't have experience because you don't have a job. And so we help break that cycle. Um, we've created the, the internship program uh, led by Cindy, as I mentioned, and we have kind of two categories. One is an internal uh, internship. Um, our partner, Chefo, uh, who we worked with all these 20 years, they've got a lot going on and they need some help. And so we're giving uh, some of our graduates experience working at Chefo. And we've got mentors to help them learn. We've got a little bit of a training course uh, that gives them soft skills um, and, and things to help them really become ready to, to get a job. Uh, quick example um, that illustrates the need is one of our graduates, uh, Jackson, studied uh, IT and through college. And in that, in his coursework, he said that he never touched a computer because even the universities don't have a lot of resources. So imagine going through a whole IT college experience without having touched a computer. So... We're able to help come alongside, bring in computers. Uh, we've got uh, Louis Stridum uh, is helping him learn, you know, become Microsoft certified. My goodness, what a credential to have over there. No one is Microsoft certified. So, it, uh, and then now Jackson's helping to run the computers at the school, the computers in our lab for the kids. And he's got a very marketable skill now. And um, so we, we help solve that. Uh, inexperience gap for Jackson. And we're, now we're doing it for a bunch of others internal to Chefo. And then we also have an external program just using our contacts and our, you know, just experience in networking to help find jobs outside of Chefo, uh, paid internships. So we've had some of our, our team members with contacts that happen to have suppliers in the apparel industry in Tanzania. We, use those connections to, to get some of our interns uh, paying jobs. So, uh, you know, we can now say we, we, we take the kids all the way from kindergarten through job. And uh, it's been an amazing experience. Tons of mentoring opportunities for people here in the States. Tons of opportunities to help us network and contacts. You never know how your network can help, uh, even over in Tanzania. Exactly. And I think the, you know, people listening may be wondering, okay, most of your partner base is in America, Tanzania is 24 hours away. How, mm -hmm. how, do, you, how do you do that? How do you serve a community so far away? Yeah. Uh, we've got rudimentary infrastructure in place in terms of internet connectivity. We've got some things um, going on that will vastly increase that. But mentoring, we do, you know, relationships are our lifeblood. And um, so we do a lot of Zoom calls with our kids in, in the school. Uh, we're, we're trying to do more and more Zoom calls or video calls with uh, the kids in the internship program. So there is tons of opportunity to help without getting out of your house mm -hmm. here. Uh, another example is um, we ended up, uh, 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 outfitting the hospital uh, in the in the region, and there we had a whole team of people, 
a whole chain that made that happen. Mm-hmm. Someone donated hospital beds. Team here in the States went and got the beds. We had people donate computers. Um, we had people then clean the beds, prepare their computers, and put them on a container for shipment. So that was a, just a, a huge work, you know, chunk of work that you can do here yeah. uh, that greatly helped the, the district mm-hmm. uh, and the school over there. So there's mentoring, there's just, um, I don't know what you call it, but just getting stuff done um, for Tanzania here. You never know what your background can bring. Yeah, And that's the thing I love about Ubora. It's you can be, um, you know, a lot of nonprofits, your relationship is transactional. Mm. You know, like if you're a monthly donor, you know, you're making that monthly donation, but... Mm -hmm. You know, it's with Ubora, you can really get in there and serve and have a relationship with somebody that is, you know, another culture, another, I mean, it's just such an amazing experience. Yeah, this, uh, I hate to use this term, but it's a, it's a sandbox that's big enough and yet small enough for us to operate in with meaning. And I say that for an mm-hmm. example, we were able to get those computers and ship them over. Well, once they got there, um, you know, we're blessed with being connected to the government now. Um, uh, Louis Stridham, who helped with those computers, l- literally got connected to the district IT person, the, you know, the guy in charge of all computers in the district. And so Louis is now working with him. Uh, we're going to, we're going to install those computers at the hospital, get it set up with the software that they need, help them get trained on it. Uh, and then the big win is that all of the medical records over there are now done on paper. Mm. Things get lost. Prescriptions oh, yeah. don't happen. Follow-up doesn't happen. And so um, because of our relationship with the, the district IT person, uh, we're going to be able to scan 25,000 records into these computers that's a whole project unto itself. Yeah. And so I think uh, that's one important thing to say is this our relationships with the local government really allow us to get things done. And you can get, it's amazing how quickly you can get plugged in to people who can make things happen mm-hmm. there. We've got people here who can make things happen and people there uh, who are in charge. So it's a good sized, again, hate to use this term, but it's a good sized sandbox that we're working in and God's given us connections Mm -hmm. uh, to get a lot of things done in there. So if you want to really help build a community, it's a great place to, to come and do that. Well, and help build a country. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously, seriously. And, you know, even though we are lifting up a village, our work is in that village. Mm -hmm. We have connections, exposure to, some very high levels of parliament. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got you've got all kinds of people in your phone that you know very high. So it's just it's just been that connection mm-hmm. that has has enabled us to to really make a you know a big difference in some areas. Yeah, it really is amazing. The like we know the people in the Ministry of Education. We know the people in the Ministry of Health who are sitting in Parliament, um, and. Um, so you can get a lot of things done um, and, and with a Christian worldview, which exactly. is the cool part. 
Yeah. So God is definitely giving us uh, access and influence. And uh, just got to prayerfully use that yeah. in ways that, uh, that you know, are consistent with, with God's plan. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's talk about some of the specifics of our impact initiatives that we have going on there. Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about education. We have a, we have a school, mm-hmm. um, a lot, you know, that's kind of a lot of our work is focused on that area, but we have a lot of other things going on too. So mm-hmm. if you want to just unpack a little bit about each one of those. Yeah, I'll just, I guess, branch out from the, our school. Uh, we're starting to work in the public schools. Uh, I think I mentioned the, uh, the food silos. The government ran out of money to fund the public school meal program. And so we're helping to supply silos uh, there. Um, thanks to uh, Griffin Stewart and folks at Five Day Deal, uh, they uh, helped us fund so far 12 silos that are providing meals for kids at the public schools in a really neat uh, program with the parents. You know, Ubor will match the grain that they grow uh, and fill those silos so the, so the kids can have meals. Uh, before school and, and at lunch. Uh, so that's one. Um, I mentioned the uh, Vacation Bible School program. Uh, we're reaching out to churches in the area to, to touch probably 10,000 kids uh, over the course of a summer uh, with uh, just a different way for them to experience the gospel. Yeah. Cool things going on with business. Yeah. Uh, so, and you know, I was working through... so. In the business world, um, you know, there's so many, gosh, I guess the best way to describe, there's a, there's a whole uh, a couple different tiers that we're looking at now. Um, we do still work with our widows, a very important group. We, we do spiritual uh, you know, counseling, uh, Bible studies with our widows. But then for them, they need a way to sustain themselves long term. So on the business side, we're coming up with um, income-generating projects for them, soap-making. There's incredible coffee uh, Mm -hmm. grown in the region. And uh, so the the widows are grinding the coffee and selling uh, coffee that's ready to to drink. Um, So, you know, income-generating kind of uh, microfinance-type projects with the widows. The next tier we call a sponsor uh, driven projects. So as an example, we're looking to work with those young men that I mentioned, uh, uh, work with them on a spiritual level, but then also on a business level and give them skills, uh, with the intent of starting small businesses in the area. Uh, there's a lot of guys who are doing woodworking in makeshift, uh, facilities and with makeshift equipment, a lot of people doing motorcycle repair, there's ideas for a bakery. We have a data center model that we've uh, run a pilot on. Uh, and so those sort of businesses would be, hey, let's work with these folks, um, build relationships, and then help them start a small business. And then on the, on the big scale, there are some opportunities in the region for, for larger uh, businesses to come in, such as uh, you know, large-scale avocado farms, mm-hmm. uh, per, perhaps flower, cut flower business uh, in there. So there's, there's three different tiers of business that we're working on. In addition to training, uh, Lee Williams is leading that whole effort. He'll go in and do uh, consulting with some of the small businesses, help them uh, 
how to use a ledger and identify products that are profitable and those that are not and um, just help them grow their business, help them make it more profitable, which really directly impacts the food on the table for their family. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then child sponsorship has been, you know, at the heart of the success of the school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, currently 300 children at our school. All of those children are sponsored by a, a typically a, someone here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, like to think that's a little bit different sponsorship model. Um, it is very hands-on, uh, very interactive, lots of, lots of video calls, lots of letters as usual. But then, you know, a lot of our sponsors go and visit. So uh, you know, many sponsors know their children and uh, know the needs of the family and uh, you know, directly step in and help uh, when needed. So sponsor, we're looking to expand that out into the public schools as well. That's so cool. Um, you, know, the, you know, the last, you know, the biggest one, or not the biggest one, but another big initiative is in the medical side. I've alluded to that. Uh, we have a, a budding partnership with Georgetown University, and um, we've got regular trips going over with Georgetown faculty and students uh, to help uh, screen children in the public schools, uh, do doctor and nurse training, uh, and then just really help give strategic guidance to uh, the doctors and nurses uh, in the region. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. So... Well, maybe we need Emily to answer this question about about a mission trip. You know, what does a mission trip to Tanzania serving in our village look like? Emily Weaver, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Thank you, thank you. Very excited to be here. We are just delighted to have you be a part of the Ubora team. And I think your whole journey to getting here is... Um, content for another day because I think it's pretty <laughs> awesome that you've had a great job as an engineer like Dave <laughs> and then you just felt the call to to use your life for something different. Yeah, crazy story. We'll have to we'll have to do that one day. <laughs> okay. Well in your new role, one of the big things you do um, is coordinate our mission trips to Tanzania. And I know for me, I never imagined that I would hop on a plane and fly 24 hours and go to Tanzania, but it's one of the best, most amazing things I've ever done. Glad you did it. (laughs) I'm glad I did it and got to meet you over there. So let's just talk a little bit about mission trips. Yeah. And um, why would anyone want to go to Tanzania? I mean, well, why wouldn't you want to go? (laughs) It's beautiful. No, um, there are are just so many opportunities um, for good, so many opportunities to serve. Everyone has a skill that you can bring. Everyone has love that you can show to these people in Tanzania who just need that and love, love that from us. Um, And I think, I think, you know, it's, it's a, it's a step out of a comfort zone for most people, but it's a really, really great one. For sure, for sure. And Dave talked a little bit about we need volunteers um, to go on mission trips yes. that can that have a background in business or that are teachers. So just if you can share just kind of some of those different types of 
opportunities to serve while while you're there, kind of some of those needs you're looking to fill. And we have, I think, 10 trips on the books mm. like that, that we're looking at for next year. So that's super exciting. Lots of opportunities for people to get over there. Lots of different types of trips. Um, we have several business trips that are going. So for anyone who has any sort of business experience, honestly, just as an American consumer, you probably have relatable business experience in Tanzania. Um, So lots of business trips. I think we have maybe three or four scheduled for 2023. We have a teacher trip. So for any teachers who are interested in going, I think what's really cool about the teacher trip is that they're there for a week in the summer while the the students are on break. So they have one-on-one like direct training with teachers, um, lots of like collaboration time. And then they're there for a week after that, right when the students get back from their their like one month break in the middle of the school year. Um, so that's just a really cool time, for, I think, for them to collaborate directly with the teachers and then see that in action with the students. Um, so that's a, that's a really, really great trip. We also have a vacation Bible school trip um, in summer, I think around June. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a great trip for people families to go bring your children um it's direct on hand hands on time with kids all over all over the Seha district which is the sort of like the county that our village currency is in um and so yeah it's that that trip is really if you have any desire to just get over there and see it you're like maybe I don't have great business experience or I'm not a teacher. That's a good one. To yeah, go I would really point you towards the VBS trip. Um, and and kind of if you have any any sort of side projects that you'd like to look at, that's kind of a good one that we can work in into that week of vacation Bible school. We also have some agriculture trips. Um, so for anyone who's interested in farming or ag, that'll be probably end of 2023. And then we have um, a few medical trips. So with our partnership with Georgetown, we're looking for a few student trips for Georgetown nursing students to come over and do some health screening clinics for students um, in our district, in the Seahaw district in Tanzania, and then also do some collaborative training with the nurses at the Seahaw district hospital. Sure. So, and I think in a lot of those trips, you don't have to be, you don't have to have specific expertise like if like there's a medical trip going but then there's like some kind of admin roles that you can help stock supplies and you know you just need to have willing hands and hearts to go anyone who wants to go there is a place for you um yeah exactly medical trip there is so much admin stuff you can be supportive roles are needed in those type settings um and almost every trip that you can think of, there's going to be that type. We, we're going to need people like that who can be the person to just help support, make the trip run smoothly, make sure that things are getting coordinated and operating how they're supposed to. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. And then there may, you know, that's the cool thing about being a small nonprofit. We can, you know, we're like we're praying about sports trips, you know, because that's what better way than to minister to the kids through through sports because that's you know you bring a soccer ball and it is just it is game on exactly that's what I was so say. you know if someone has 
expertise in planning a soccer league or, you know, or medical expertise like a physical therapist, you know, it's like, reach out to us and, and let's talk and we'll, we'll find a place for you to serve because the need is so great in all areas. And, and even if it sounds, you know, like, I don't know, I don't, I don't have much business experience. I'm not a teacher. How can I fit in? There is a place for you. We can use anyone and everyone who just has a heart to get over there and serve. Um, and, and we'd love to have you send me an email and we'll, we'll, we'll get a, get you on a trip. Yeah. And we also, let's talk about the Kilimanjaro trip. True. Yes. So last year for the first time, Ubora had a team of climbers go over and hike Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. It was incredible. They came down so pumped. Like it was awesome. They were just spent six days. Can you imagine like Rena and I were praying from the bottom of the mountain for the climbers <laughs> on the top. <laughs> it was. It is. You cannot believe how big Kilimanjaro is. Huge. And from our village, I mean, you'll be walking down the street and then boom, there's Kilimanjaro on one side and Mount Meru on the other. I mean, it's just, it is right there. So funny. Yeah, we were in the village um, with Dave and <laughs> one day leaving the school and he goes, Man, I just cannot believe I climbed all the way up there. <laughs> it's huge, but yeah. So we have another tr- another opportunity to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Twenty summer twenty twenty three. We're looking early July. So if that's something that interests you, hit us up. Hit us up. Yes. Yeah, and we also have cool tools that uh, I mean, I know I was blown away by people just generous people who want to support, mm-hmm. who who want to support mission trips. Yes. And, um, you know, we make fundraising easy. If you can't afford it yourself, chances are, if you, you know, you just share it on social media and write a few letters and, and people will, will wholeheartedly support your endeavor. It's just, it's a really cool thing that happens when Abs- you go on a mission trip. Absolutely. Yeah. Please do not be intimidated by the cost. Um, you know, I think that that can be a deterrent for people when you see a price tag, like, how am I going to afford a f- flight to Tanzania? Mm-hmm. But honest, people want to help, and people, you know, you, you let them know your need. Share it on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It People will donate and just really help. I mean, I saw it happen this week. Someone shared their trip um, that they're going on in a few months, and their their trip was paid for within three days, oh just from gosh. sharing it on Facebook. I mean, yeah. people people want to help serve. They see you're going over there to do something good, and mm-hmm. they want to help support that. Um, so, I really ask that you pray about that and don't don't let that be a deterrent because I really think that there's people to support you in that in that situation. Another thing that I want to talk about. So, when you're on a trip, what does that look like, right? So. Mm-hmm. Typically, for us, um, say you fly out of Atlanta, where we're located, um, talk, looking like eight eight hour flight to Amsterdam, lay over there, and then we've got another eight eight to nine hour flight to Kilimanjaro. Um, so it's a long it's a long travel day. You get there, you land at night, so you get there the following day after you left, land at night, um, travel, finally go to bed. You're exhausted. You lay down, and then you wake up. It's and you're in. Tanzania. Tanzania. Yes. It's amazing. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country. Um, so then 
that's probably around Saturday morning when you arrive there. Typically, our trips, we leave Thursday, so get there late Friday night. Saturday morning, you get up and you kind of get ready for the week, get prepped, set up for whatever you're going to be working on that week. Sunday morning, we'll go to church, and then Monday, hit the ground running. Um, Whatever type of trip you're on, you'll be focused on that that week. We spend a lot of time at the school. That's kind of like our home base when we're there. So if you're going out on a business meeting or you have some trainings that you're going to be doing, kind of start off at, at SLS, Seahaw Leadership School. It's our home base. Um, there all week. And then usually after that is safari, which I am so excited about. I did not get to go on safari last time I went. And I get to go on safari here in a few weeks when I go back to Tanzania again. And I cannot wait. See, so many animals you know, I'm just so excited. You went, you got, you did get to go on safari. I got on a one day one. A one day I one. I got yes. to see some pretty awesome giraffes. Oh, giraffes. So I know. Jealous. Yes. And on the drive out to our land, we saw zebras running across the road, which was. Right. Oh, that's amazing. I know. It's just, it's just so, so beautiful and so incredible. And there's not a lot of ambient light at night. So the stars mm-hmm. are. So magnificent. Um, I just didn't know it was going to, like, totally captivate me. I just can't wait to go. <laughs> cannot wait to go back. It yeah. is. It's a, truly a magical I know. hope and faith-filled place. Absolutely, yes. You can just feel it. It's mm-hmm. it's incredible. Yeah. So I, if you're thinking about it, please email me, yeah. emilyweaver yeah. at org. So and it's, to me, it's, it's, um, a trip with purpose. It's a mission trip, but it's kind of an adventure trip too. Absolutely. You know, yes. and then you add the, you know, the safari in, mm-hmm. on the end of it and a chance to really kind of uh, expand your your network and experience something new. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Exactly. Love it. Cool. So if, let's have you close this down. So if People want to get in touch with us. What's the best way to? Yeah. So our website is uboratz.org. You can check out everything that we're doing there. We keep it pretty updated. Um, And then email me. I'm emilyweaver at uboratz.org. Okay. We have a a Relevate podcast takeover here. It's the first. Okay. Rena, question for you. Okay. For someone who's struggling with finding meaning or purpose in life, what would you say about the importance of faith and service? That's a very good question. So I think, you know, we all have discontent in our hearts at times, but if you've never really been exposed to volunteering, serving, going on a mission trip— you don't know that that could be the missing piece in your life, right? You've never been exposed to it. And there is something, you know, when you volunteer with an organization like Ubora, there's many, many other nonprofits that we would encourage you to get involved with as well. It's a chance to kind of get out of your head and, you know, just do something for another person, Mm -hmm. for another country. And I mean, it it frees you in ways that you just can't even imagine. It's a big, big world. It is. It's a big world out there. And to just be willing to, to say, 
I'm going for it. Mm-hmm. You know, I may be 50 some years old. I've never been on a mission trip, but you know what? I'm going for it. And you know what? It could change your life. What a way to, to give perspective to your problems. Exactly. Yeah. You're never too old. You're never too young. We have kids going all the time, hopping on a plane with their parents, going to Tanzania. I mean, it will, it will change your life. It will change their, our friends over there, your kids' lives. Just, just be open-handed and open-hearted and willing to go. Awesome. Great answer. Good question, Anna. <laughs> Thank you for joining me on the Relevate podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for your willingness to to just serve wholeheartedly and um, just be willing to help uh, uh, an amazing village, an amazing, you know, country of people over there. It's just, it's a joy to serve with you and Dave and all the people that make Ubora possible. It is it is a volunteer driven organization, and if you want to roll up your sleeves and get involved, uh, just give us a call. Come on, come on, let's go. <laughs> what Swahili words have you learned? Oh boy, I need to be practicing my Swahili. Karibu, karibu, karibu sana, sana, jambo, mambo, so. <laughs> Got about five words. <laughs> you got two more than me. Oh, man. Okay. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, Rena. Keep up the great work. Oh. Serving others truly has transformational power. If your life is feeling less than, I encourage you to turn your focus on a cause other than yourself. There are so many nonprofits like Ubora that need people like you. They need your time, your talent your heart, and your financial support. I, of course, am very partial to Ubora and would encourage you to learn more. Our website is uboratz.org. See link in show notes for details. Ubora also has a brand new, amazing documentary produced by filmmaker Nick Cannon that we would love to bring to your community or your place of business or your church. If you're interested, reach out to us on the website and let's connect. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.